I want to share two things with you. I've shared with you before, and so I'm going to be brief, but it will help me as a segue into a topic that potentially this morning is going to be very difficult and challenging for us men. I've discovered something, and, and that is on Mother's Day, I always try to preach a sermon that really encourages them and builds them up, and when it comes to Father's Day, God just lays it on my heart to just not bring a, an encouragement, but a challenge. And I'm just going to let you know, today's no different. Sorry. All right. I want us to, and I'm doing this because looking at what it means to be a passionate man of God, because sometimes, is it not true, we feel as if that fire in us has dwindled down to this little tiny pilot light, and we're wondering, come on, God, ignite this thing, turn it up to 10, do something, and I believe that God is going to call us and challenge us, and this morning is going to be no different. We're going to be looking at a man by the name of Nehemiah, so turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, but we're going to need to look at this thing of manhood, and what does it mean to stand in the face of storms, to be passionate and pursue God, and how do we stoke those things? How do we allow God's grace to break through and impassion us if we've lost that passion? So Nehemiah chapter one, I want to share this story with you. I, I, I can remember in ninth grade, I had just given my heart to Christ and God had been doing a lot of things in my heart. I had seen my brother, Dan, who led me to Christ, who several years ago, by his uh, sovereign will, he took my brother. He had cancer, and God took him, and but he was the one, three and a half years older than me, when I was 14, led me to Christ. And just loved to tell people about Jesus. He, he was, he, God was just igniting something in his heart and making it tender. I can remember my dad saying grace over a meal, and my brother started weeping, and I'm just thinking, what is going on with my brother here? But God was doing something in his heart that then God, just a few months later, started doing in my heart. And I can remember wanting to evangelize. And in my ninth grade IPS, Introductory to Physical Science, there we go, IPS class, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of, if I could call him that, gentleman, uh, John Lavelle. John Lavelle was this, he was a smart guy, but he was a partier. It was like he just asked with a little bit of downtime uh, right before class, and the, this teacher stepped in, and John Lavelle turned to everybody, stood up. This guy was bold, and he said, hey, guys, Mike Curtis got religion. And, and there was something inside of me that said, yeah, the, I found Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, with 30 other teens in that room, ninth grade, an embarrassment started to come over me. I could feel my face. And I, this has rarely happened to me. I felt like my face was on fire. And he looked at me and he said, Mike, in front of everybody, Mike, your face is all red. Are you embarrassed? You know, what am I going to say? And, and, I, and I, here's what happened, though. This is what I noticed. For the next two years, that passion to evangelize was shifted into neutral. Two years later, the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart and in many ways transformed me. Two years after I gave my heart to Christ, and he rebirthed a passion in my heart to evangelize, and God gave me opportunities every single day to do that. Now, I'm not doing one of these, but see, the Spirit of God, I believe, when he comes upon us, he wants to empower us. Acts 1.8, the very theme of you, and you will be my what, church? My what? 
my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit of God was getting a hold of me, and I just began to, to share my faith. I love that. Several years later, I'd forgotten about John, and I, I, I was a student over at Covenant College, a Christian college for a year and a half, transferred over to the University of Delaware, which, by the way, that's where I met my beautiful, wonderful wife. But I remember walking to class one day at the University of Delaware, and I saw a guy passing on the other side of the street, and I opened my mouth like, what? It was John, and I walked up and I said, John, do you remember me? He remembered me, and, I, and, and God just gave me a boldness. And he, he, he had me challenge John to not throw his life away, but not just in the area of studies, but he challenged me to call him to Jesus. And you know what? Every now and then, God brings that story to my mind, and I pray for John. I don't know what happened with John, but I do know what happened with me. I, I had gotten discouraged, and for two years, I backpedaled. And I was following the Lord, don't get me wrong, but as if the devil just reached into my heart and pulled out any kind of boldness to share my faith. I kept praying for those two years. Mary, maybe a struggle of sin that you have just kind of thrown your hands up in the air and say, I give up. Maybe it is a walk with the Lord. Maybe you used to spend time in the word and, and you, there was just life that the spirit of God was ministering to you. But you've come to a place because of circumstances in your life in which you're discouraged. And God is wanting to speak to you this morning and said, hey, take a look at my servant Nehemiah and see what he faced. And men of God, stand up again and be willing to pursue me even in the midst of storm and do not back down. And that's going to be my challenge to us today, to help us understand something about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah faced a very difficult situation. We're going to get into that. But there is something about Nehemiah's attitude. And, and you've heard me say this before. But God was looking for a man of both velvet and steel, a man who was both compassionate and would not back down in the face of evil. In our day, and I'm going to put it this way, in the day for nice men, because here's something about nice. Nice never wants to offend never wants to offend, either in speech or in action. And what happens is that men of God will backpedal to keep the peace at any cost. And I just want to say, church, men, sometimes that cost is just too high. And we cannot backpedal in the face of onslaught, in the face of evil. Edmund Burke, it's attributed to him, some say it, 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 he really didn't ever say it, but it's attributed to him nevertheless. And it says this. In order for so Satan is sometimes nice. And Satan's niceness is to seduce us men so that we are nice, so that we keep the peace at any cost. Nehemiah was not a nice man. I'm going to say that one more time. Nehemiah was not a nice man. Because niceness means that if I have to backpedal so that people aren't angry with me, I will do that. 
in this concept in our day of tolerance, that is exactly what the devil is trying to instill in the church. Even though I disagree with you, I will respect your view. Today, tolerance means not only will I respect you and I will respect your view, but I will not speak against it. As a matter of fact, I may just embrace it. That is not nice. In, in Nehemiah, we see a man who is willing to be touched, even emotionally, by the crisis of his day, and it forced him, we'll see, into God. See, here's what can happen to the storm. And as we look around, and we're praying, and we're fasting even, and we're just saying, God, come through in this hard time in my life or in my family's life or in the life of my business, come through and all we see is the darkness getting darker. And can I just say this? That if we could see God's glory as light, sometimes in order to maximize his glory, he needs to allow the darkness to get as dark as it can. Because at that moment, when his light shines in the darkness, we see this suddenly when God stepped in, in his sovereign timing, the darkness was dispelled and it backed up. The light intruded on the darkness. And God, I believe, is sometimes allowing your darkness to become so dark because he wants to step in and magnify and maximize his glory. But see, often when we go through life, that's really not what we're after. We're after our glory. We're after the comfortable life. We're after the easy life. We always want our business to succeed. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But what if it doesn't look back? Does that mean that you're always going to plow in a straight line? Does that mean that the God's going to always send the rain and that your seed is always going to produce a bountiful harvest? I'm going to challenge us that there are, you're going to face hard times and the darkness is going to come. And don't be afraid of this. Darkness came for Nehemiah. And God, at a particular moment, that's when he allowed his light to shine and not before it. And it was dark. Men don't give up. Nice does not mean that we compromise or cater. Let me just challenge you this. God has called us to be men of love. See, being nice is very uncomplicated. Being nice always looks the same in all situations. It's always unoffensive. It remains silent in the face of evil because, hey, you know what? One man's evil could be another man's goodness or right. So who am I to intrude? It tolerates others' wickedness. But you see, love is complicated. It looks different in every situation. It may show the face of compassion or it may, be, may show the face of intolerant forcefulness. Jesus is love because he is God. But Jesus in Revelation 5 is both the lion and the lamb. And as we look at Nehemiah, in which he was both the lion and the lamb. And if you go through Nehemiah, you're going to see this man of velvet and yet this man of steel. A man who put his hand to the plow for 52 straight days, day and night, without changing their clothes and apparently without showering. Mm, think about that. Can you imagine when they came home at night? You know, sweetheart, I think you're going to take the couch tonight, all right? 
but okay, day and night with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. He was determined. He refused to back down. Niceness compromises convictions. Niceness says forgive and do nothing when the eye and the tooth are taken. Harshness, harshness says death to all who take eye or tooth. But love, love says I'm going to be willing to forgive, but I will take action. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That, by the way, is not just Old Testament. Our judicial system is founded on eye for eye and tooth for a tooth. That the punishment fits the crime. The problem that Jesus addressed is when we took two. Let's go ahead and read, and we're going to read several verses here into chapter 2. Let's see how Nehemiah chose not to be nice. Let's see how Nehemiah chose to be passionate. And when in the midst of his darkness, how he pressed into God, found him, and how God then chose him as a man of action and as a man of prayer. In the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, the, the, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and so were people during Daniel's time, about 80 years before this, in which Cyrus said, you may go back. And the exiles, the Babylonian exiles, went back to Jerusalem, tens of thousands. Some of them remained. Daniel remained in the land. God used him there. But many of them went back. And in going back, they tried to rebuild. And after 80 years, the enemy attacked. Let's look at this. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you've given, you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. 
in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, remember that would be Nehemiah, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I, was, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, let him rebuild me. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. You see, love is this amazing contradiction at times of firmness and yet compassion. Now, when I'm talking about niceness and I talk about harshness, we, we want to be neither. Harshness is a way of escape. A harshness, our, our goal is never harshness. Our goal is love. Our goal is firmness, man. Our goal is to pursue God no matter what. As we look at, at Nehemiah here, he had his brother Hanani come to him along with some others, and he was inquiring. He found out that for the, for the last 80 years, since about 539 BC, when the exiles went back, they had been rebuilding Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah's day, apparently all of that hard work in rebuilding Jerusalem came to an end. And the enemy had attacked, had knocked down the walls, had burnt the gates. Nothing. Now, Nehemiah wasn't a part of that. His brother Hanani, no doubt, was. And in this rebuilding process, and I don't know if you have ever had something that you have built um, suddenly be torn down. I remember a day Donald and I were kind of in a competition. We didn't mean for it to turn into a competition, but we were out by the beach, and we were saying, hey, kids, you know, we're going to build a sandcastle. And before you know it, I'm looking over there and saying, hey, Donald, well, I'm going to do this to my sandcastle. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to do this. And before you know it, we were kind of pushing the kids inside, and it turned into a competition. Who can build the biggest sandcastle? But I can remember when I had, had been building up my business, and it had, it had actually taken several years. Um, I had, Donald was out in his truck doing his thing over at Sun State Ford, and I was over there at Hollis Chevrolet. And uh, I had two guys that actually both of them lived with us at the time, and they were getting ready to go off in their own vans. And I walked in and uh, sat down, and in one hour, I lost two-thirds of my business. And I just thought, this is incredible. All of the Holler Classic dealerships shut me out. And I found out why. There was apparently some things that I needed to do, and I had not been apprised of that. And can't support my family, losing two-thirds of my business? What are you going to do about this, God? And an anger rose up within me. Guys, when we look at men of God, we're going to find that they know how to take anger and use it as their ally. Not to be harsh, but to face the battle head on. And I remember walking outside, and I was angry, and I said, guys, here's what we're going to do. I don't care who's watching right now. We're going to stand outside this dealership, and the three of us, we're just going to pray right now. And I was angry, 
I was angry at the devil because I knew that he had stolen. I wasn't angry at the manager. Maybe a little frustrated because he didn't tell me what was going on until that day. But I, I was angry because I felt like, you know, I said, guys, we're going to pray. And we prayed. And for the next two months, we tried really hard to build up the business. We had probably lost six accounts, and we had managed to get maybe two. I had done my homework. I, I, I did what they requested. I was told, though, that the door was shut and no other paint guys like me could get in. And I submitted my work, and they said, Mike, we're going to let you go ahead and have your accounts back. And so we had, we had gotten two more accounts, and then we got the other six back. And as a result, the company actually grew. It didn't lose ground. Now, I'm, I'm only sharing darkness. I have given up. I haven't gotten angry at the devil. And there have been times in which, Mike, when you and I were working and, and we, just, we saw a business starting to go down, 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 and I said, bro, we're going we're gonna to walk. We're going to do something really silly right now. We're going to walk around this dealership, and we're just going to cry out to you, Lord God, before we walk the lot, and we're going to ask you to bless this business. And that, Father, as, as, as just like Joseph was working in Potiphar's household and bless that Potiphar Bless Potiphar's house. I'm asking, Lord, that as Christian men and as we are serving this dealership, that if nothing else, for that reason, what he was doing and reversed that trend. But men, here is a guy by the, by the name of Nehemiah. His heart is broken. He loved his people who had spent 80 years building Jerusalem back up. For 70 years, they were being punished, and finally, woohoo! they come back. God had finally given them deliverance, finally come back to their land, and they build up Jerusalem only to have it come crashing down again. Their walls have been decimated, gates burned, which simply meant that every day that goes by, take their gold and silver and decimate them. And his heart was broken, and he didn't take it lying down. And he comes before God, and, and it says here that he actually wept before him. And, and I can only imagine this anger that those enemies around them are ransacking the people of God. Lord, we, we repented. I know that we sinned. We repented. You punished us. Aren't we on the flip side of this? Aren't we on the blessing side of this? How could this happen, God? And as I don't care how dark it is, press into God. Don't backpedal. Don't take it lying down. Stand up. And so, well, actually, he bowed down. So that's what we should do. Outside, maybe, or in his heart, he's standing up, but he's really bowing down, and he's seeking God, and he has wept. And it says, right there in verse 4, that he mourned, fasted, and prayed. Now, this happened in the month of Kislev, which would be about December. And in chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan is when God finally, it certainly wouldn't have been a, a, a liquid fast. You, I'm not sure you can do a liquid fast that long. But here he was fasting and praying and he's mourning and weeping and he is pressing into God. And God begins to birth a vision in his heart. Now, I know that a vision has been birthed because when the king finally asked him, what can I do for you? It's as if he had a plan, a ready-made plan right there. Can I ask you, men, 
Have you feel as if the devil has come in and stolen all that you worked so hard for? If he stole them from you. I know this has happened in my life. And it's broken my heart. And when the devil has done this, how are we responding? Because I believe that in that moment of darkness, God, as you're pressing in, he wants to give you a plan. He wants to give you a strategy. For four months, four months, no open doors. Understand, four months, you do the math, that's about 120 days. Every day, Jerusalem is open to the possibility of being And that's why he's mourning. His people could get wiped out any day. God, why are you delaying? What's going on here? And he pressed into God and he pressed into God until one day. And I can only imagine this would be the first day that he ever walked into the presence of the king and he was depressed. Have you ever been there? Even after praying just this weight so heavy on your shoulders, and just struggling with God. And God has not been answering. And there has been the king. And I have allowed this stuff in my life to affect me emotionally so that when I stand before the king depressed, he's going to call me on the carpet because you are never allowed to be depressed in the court of the king. You cannot walk into the court of the king with a frown on your face or sadness. And yet, he was overwhelmed with grief. Something, he was just at that point, that day, in which when he he got up in the morning, he was just just overwhelmed. And yet, how amazing it is that he him on the carpet, and you read in your Bibles, it says, and Nehemiah was afraid. And the reason is because the king could have you executed. Okay, God, what do I do? And he just lays it, he he answers the king's question. He says, this is sadness of heart. Why? And he shares briefly. And he's kind of just waiting. Okay, God, this is it. This is it. You're either going to answer now or never. And the king's heart changed right there and instead of having a executed, how may i as the king of the entire persian empire serve you at the darkest point the darkest moment in nehemiah's life in which he could have died he could have been struck down by the king god opened the door the light shone through and it didn't stop there Because when he asked him, so what do you want? He said, wow, okay, here's my Christmas wish list. Boom. And right there, and this is what I'm going to need, and I'm going to need this, and I'm going to, yeah, and I'm going to need this and this to make sure that you you travel safely. Because he had to travel through the trans-Euphrates area, which was filled with the enemies that had just attacked Jerusalem. And so there he is. And here's his conclusion right there. I didn't read it. It's right there in verse 8. It says, and because of the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Wow. Amazing how God 
in the midst of Nehemiah's hardest moment, that's when he came through. Can I ask you, in your moment of darkness, and I realize my time is, is up because I want to do something to conclude the service. In your darkest moment, are you right now finding yourself desperate? Because here's the thing about desperate. Desperate is faith. For you to be completely reliant upon God, that is faith. That is a desperation, a place of faith that cries out for God and doesn't give up. But what happens is in the midst of our, our, our struggles to get careless, right? If I care less, I'm going to get less disappointed. But when you care less, you become less desperate. So I'm asking you to, to be willing to get hurt again, to be willing to be disappointed again, to stand up, to be able to be like Nehemiah and in the midst of that storm, be desperate to cry out to God because you care about your family, your business, or whatever he has called you to. I can remember years ago, Rose was eight years old. And really maturing and blossoming, and we were just like, God, yes, Juliana, you were. Don't, don't look at me that way. And my wife and I were so proud of him, and then Jenny Rose started developing this rebellious attitude. Okay. And so my wife and I just looked at each other, well, it's just a phase that she's going through. Can I just, men, for, your, for the sake of your family, never say it's just a phase they're going through. That allows you to just say, okay, well, whatever. And my wife and I, we realized this, this, is, this is taking more than just a few days, weeks, months, or even years. Her eyes would roll up, would roll back and whatever. And she would say, sweetheart, this is what you, we need you to do. I need you to go to your room and, and clean your room. And she would stomp up the stairs and... There, there was this rebellion that was beginning to take root. And we just said, okay, God, what are we going to do? Can I just share? This went on for four years. And my wife and I said, we're not backing down. We, we have tried so many different things. And we had fasted and we had prayed. And I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you because sometimes, men, you can find your, and you are exactly where God wants you to be. Desperate for him, constantly looking, saying, God, I can't do this. Look at, all, look at all I've tried. I need you, God. I need you to come through. Don't give up, men. And as we pressed into God and as we fasted, we were having other people fast as well. And, and God began to do something when Rose turned 12, moving into 13. And we began to see God change her heart. Part of that, Sarah had stepped in and begun discipling her. And she, Rose was was becoming a beautiful woman, and she was, God was doing something. I tell you what, as I look at you, Rose, I am so glad that your mother and I chose never to give up. You have turned into such an amazing woman of God. There's so many qualities in my daughter that when I look at her, I just say, wow, I, I want more of that in my life. And I can remember 
the days in which I would go out on my back porch. And little Rose, she would follow me out there as a little girl. And she would follow her daddy around the porch and with a cup of coffee to keep me awake, I would begin to pray. And I was demonstrative when I would pray. And I would walk around the table. And as I turned around, I saw that she was cute. And I hugged her. And then she moved into this rebellious stage. And I was like, God, what are we going to do? And on the other end, I remember walking into my study. And I had to learn how to step over my daughter because she was on her face seeking God and crying out to God for her friends, for God to continue to change her heart. And I did this because I wanted to get my Bible to have my own quiet time, but I didn't want to disturb her. And God is, had, was so transforming her life. Church, I want to tell you, I wanted to just give up. I didn't know what to do. And maybe that's where you're at. Is loving and gracious enough to do just that. And don't be surprised how dark it gets around you because God is only setting the situation up for his light to shine brighter. Faith latches on to that. Faith says, I want to be like Nehemiah. I don't care how long I have to wait. It just seems to, to be getting darker and darker. But at the very moment in which it was the hardest for him, and he walked into the court of the king, and he was depressed, and the king called him out on it, and he feared for his life. That is when God more of what he was asking for. Can you believe this with me, men? Can you believe whatever it is that you're facing? Can you latch on to this truth? And can you be willing to stand in the face of evil and press into God no matter what? And I'm going to promise you this, that men, if you do this, God will so reward you. He will so reward you. Father, I pray that you would be so gracious to us men. As we seek to provide and protect our family, as we seek to, to press into you, God, as we seek to pour out your grace, where the enemy's coming in to attack and steal and kill and destroy, Cut him off, God, and show us men what we are to do, how we are to link arms with our wives, and how we are to press into you, God, to see your will be manifested in our lives in this situation or that. God, we so desperately need you. Come with power and with authority, God, and guard our hearts that we not capitulate and give in to the darkness. In Jesus' name. Lord.